So this is the second week. It's actually the third week of Advent because we had to cancel because we had so many people sick two weeks ago. This is our second week of celebrating Advent here. Um, and the second week of our series, which we've simply been calling Blessings, which is all about uh, paying attention to the ways in which God shows up in unexpected ways. Now, last week, after kicking off Advent and talking a whole lot about Advent, I had someone come up to me after the service, and they said, can I ask you a question? Yes, of course you can ask me a question. And they said, what is Advent? And I, I gave a good response. I think it was a good response, but the, the response that I had in my head was, well, shoot, I screwed up. Um, one of the things that I'm really adamant about is that I don't want to use language, coded language, insider language, without defining it, because the last thing that I, that I want, it is not a win if someone shows up and we use words assuming that everyone knows what it means, and it means that that person thinks that they're the only ones who don't understand it, when it's probably likely that many people are in that situation. Um, and, and so I apologize to that person, and I want to offer an apology today. If that's you, it's very possible that you also don't know what Advent is. You might use the word even, or hear us use the word, and you just move on because you don't want to ask the question, well, what actually is Advent? So I want to apologize, offer that apology to you, but then also use this as an opportunity, because we are in this season of Advent, to actually talk today about what on earth Advent is is, okay? So that's kind of where we're going to be spending our time today. Advent, let's start with a uh, definition. So our denomination, the United Methodist Church, offers this as a definition. Like if you Google, what is Advent? United Methodist Church, this is what comes up. The season of Advent, which comes from the Latin word Adventus, meaning coming or visit, begins four Sundays before Christmas and ends on Christmas Eve. Advent is the beginning of the church year for Christians. During Advent, we prepare for and anticipate the coming of Christ. We remember the longing of Jews for a Messiah and our own longing for and need for forgiveness, salvation, and a new beginning. Even as we look back and celebrate the birth of Jesus in a humble stable in Bethlehem, we also look forward to anticipating the second coming of Christ as the fulfillment of all that was promised by his first coming. Is everybody still awake? It's a pretty bland, I mean, it, it says what it is, but it's a pretty bland definition. So rather than just giving you a definition, I want to give you an illustration for you to think of when you think of this season of Advent, which is supposed to be a time of anticipating a, a coming, an arrival, okay? So I am the youngest cousin in my entire dad's side of the family, the youngest by far, actually. The majority of my cousins, like when I was in elementary school, were in their late teens or even 20s, which makes family gatherings really interesting, being the, the runt of the family and, and the one who often gets picked on, whether you're aware of it or not. Notice I said interesting, not fun, because while, while my cousins, my older cousins, they certainly had fun with me, I was not having much fun with them. So there was this one year, it was one Christmas Eve, we would always get together on Christmas Eve on my dad's side of the family uh, for, for dinner at my grandma's house. 
And of course, there was like the kids' table, and it's like me and my brothers who are just a few years older than me, and then the, the kids who are in their late teens and early 20s. And my, my cousins decided that it was a great opportunity to reveal this fact to me that Christmas begins at 12.01 a.m. Did you know this? Christmas Day begins at 12.01 a.m. So when Christmas begins, that's when you get to open your presents. So it was a really good idea for me to acknowledge that fact that Christmas begins at 12.01 a.m., and that's when you get to open your presents. So I ought to go tell my parents at 12.01 a.m. that it was Christmas and it was time to open presents. So I should have known better, but I didn't, apparently, because I thought this was the greatest idea in the world. And I was pretty good at staying up late at night. And so I go home after Christmas Eve, I go to bed, I go and lay in my bed and wait until that time. It's 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, finally midnight, and then the longest minute of the entire day, waiting until that clock, that digital clock of mine went from 12.00 to 12.01. And I jumped out of bed and I ran into my parents' room and I, I had to inform that it is Christmas, it is time to open presents. I had all of this excitement and anticipation building within me. How could I possibly wait any longer? Well, somehow my parents were able to get me calmed down, were able to be, be patient with me, probably more patient than I would be with my kids, to be honest. They were able to get me calmed down to explain to me, yeah, it's technically Christmas, but that doesn't mean that you're going to open presents. And they were able to get me back to bed, somehow get me to sleep until it was actually morning when we could wake up and get to bed or, and, and get to opening presents. I had all of this in, uh, anticipation and excitement, and yet it just had to wait. That is the image that I want you to imagine when you think about Advent, this time of coming, this, this time of excitement and anticipation. But more than that, I want you to multiply that by like a million. When you think about Jesus' earliest followers and even the people who were coming hundreds of years before that, who were anticipating and excited for but uncertain uh, about the coming of God, God and uh, interacting with humanity and the world in a, uh, in a definitional way. This is the story of the Old Testament in many respects. This is the story of the, the people of God, this, this time of excitement and anticipation, and yet the uncertainty of whether this time is actually ever going to arrive. Advent is about a pipe dream in some respects, because for the people of Israel, living more than 2,000 years ago, they were taught by their own experience, by the, their understanding of how the world actually worked, that maybe the coming of God in a history-defining way was, was not something that was actually going to happen, okay? And one of the uh, one of the indications of this, we, we have this, this story running throughout the Bible, right? Well, one of the time capsules of this theology and psychology of an excitement and anticipation, but an uncertainty of whether anything was ever going to change, we get in the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah is one of these examples of, of a book that 
was probably actually not written by a single person in a single sitting. It was probably written by a handful of people, maybe perhaps even over a couple hundred years. But using this ancient convention where even though there were multiple authors, the idea was that when you read this book, you had this person in mind that might be writing it down. And so for the book of Isaiah, of course, the authors who are writing this down want you to think of Isaiah, thank you. They want you to think of this guy, Isaiah. So Isaiah was a prophet. Isaiah was a public truth teller living in the kingdom of Israel at about uh, the 8th century uh, BCE. And early on, uh, Isaiah was sent to the kings of Israel in order to try to convince them that they were going down a wrong path and to try to convince them that they needed to change their ways or things were going to go really badly for them and for the entire kingdom. Meanwhile, he's also trying to convince the everyday people who are living in that kingdom, don't worry, even though things are not good, God has not given up on you and there are still good things out in front of you for you to be excited for and to anticipate. So that's like the first half of Isaiah, which, which was probably written by at least one author. But then there's a transition right in the middle where there's this second half of Isaiah that's probably happening after things go poorly. So he had been kind of saying, if, if we continue to go down this route, things are going to go poorly. Well, things went poorly. Eventually, this empire known as the Assyrian Empire comes in, wipes Israel off the map, exiles its people, spreads them throughout the, their empire. And so, like, the culture, the identity is completely decimated. And so, the second half of Isaiah is this second author who is now on the other side of that exile trying to grapple with the implications. And now trying again to go back to God's people and say, God has not abandoned you. There is still good out in front of us. There are still things for us to be excited for and anticipating, even and especially when it doesn't seem like there is. And in the book of Isaiah, it all kind of comes to a head in chapter 42, which we'll be reading nine verses from this morning. So this is Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. Here is my servant whom I support, this is God speaking through Isaiah. My chosen one in whom I take pleasure. I have placed my spirit on him. He will make just decrees for the nations. He will not cry out or shout. He will not publicize himself in the streets. A crushed reed he will not break. A dim wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully make just decrees. He will not grow dim or be crushed before establishing justice on the earth. The coastlands will wait in anticipation for his decrees. This is what the true God, the Lord, says. The one who created the sky and stretched it out. The one who fashioned the earth and everything that lives on it. The one who gives breath to the people on it and life to those who live on it. I, the Lord, officially commission you. I take hold of your hand. I protect you and make you a covenant mediator for people and a light to the nations to open blind eyes, to release prisoners from dungeons, those who live in darkness from prisons. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not share my glory with anyone else or the praise due me with idols. 
Look, my earlier predictive oracles have come to pass. Now I announce new events. Before they begin to occur, I will reveal them to you. This is one of the passages in the book of Isaiah that scholars refer to as a servant song. Uh, there's actually a handful of these that, that appear in the entire book. This is a servant song. So Isaiah is standing here speaking to these people who have gone through this traumatic experience, and he again is trying to say, look, there are still good things out in front of you, out in front of us, for us to anticipate, for us to be excited about. But what you need to know is that this is not just like some cosmic movement of the universe being on our side. This is going to happen in and through a specific person. God is personal. God is going to continue to act through a specific person, a specific servant. This is a servant is, that is going to be filled with the Spirit of God that is going to act justly, which is going to, who is going to bring you closer to God, which is going to make the things that are wrong to be right once again. This is someone who is going to rule on your behalf, not just for their own benefit. Now, imagine that you are the people of Israel spread throughout the empire at this point, who went through this traumatic experience, who've learned how the world actually works, and you are hearing these words. You know what it's like to live under corrupt uh, political leaders, corrupt religious leaders, corrupt systems, a world that feels like it's crumbling in on itself. That is your lived experience, and yet you're hearing these words from, from this guy. Are you going to believe that? Could it possibly be that that, that that is true, that a person like that, that a leader like that, that a God like that is actually possible and real? Is that worth holding out hope for? Well, Isaiah kind of anticipates that this is going to be the response, and so he circles back and he repeats many of those same things, but he, he begins it with saying, listen, if you don't believe me, believe the God who is saying these words. This is, again, what, what he says. This is what the true God, the Lord says, the one who created the sky and stretched it out. If you don't believe me, believe that. Believe that God. The one who fashioned the earth and everything that lives on it. The one who gives breath to people on it the life to those who live on it. If you don't believe me, if you don't even believe these words, believe in the God that has done these things in the past. If you simply have to will yourself into believing something that feels unbelievable, use that as an opportunity to steal away joy in a place and in a time when it seems like joy is absent. What would your response be? Now, we, we, know that, we know that many, if not most, of the people hearing these words simply found them unbelievable. And quite honestly, it makes sense. They had lived through this traumatic experience. They had been given all of these promises about the way that things were supposed to go. And this was their lived experience with the world. And they, they simply couldn't deal with it anymore. They couldn't bring themselves to believe it. 
And yet we also know, because we get these words passed down to us, we get these stories passed down to us, that there were people, maybe even just a handful of people, who said, you know what, it does seem unbelievable, but maybe we need to will ourselves into believing that this is possible. Maybe despite the evidence, we need to uh, steal away some joy and say, maybe, possibly, this could be possible. This world, the, this leader, this God could be possible. And maybe that is worth leaning into. Maybe there is something out there for us to continue to have excitement and anticipation for. Maybe there is yet an advent. Now, we are living 2,700 years after these words. And yet, in some ways, I feel like Advent, that, that idea of, of, of God's coming definitively in, in human history, in our world, this idea that there are still good things out in front of us, 2,700 years later, I feel like Advent maybe means more now than, than it ever could. I mean, think about the experience that, that those Israelites went through we know a thing or two about corrupt leaders, right? Politicians, religious leaders. We know a thing or two about corrupt systems that hold people down. We, we know about a world that feels like it's crumbling in on itself. We know, perhaps even, a feeling of God-forsakenness. We know many of those feelings that those people were feeling 2,700 years ago and half a world Away. And yet we stand on this other side of that first advent. As those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're able to look back and say, we not only have this definitive action in human history through this person, this God-man named Jesus, but we also are able to look with eagerness and expectation to this second advent. This passage, uh, Isaiah 42, you may have never actually read the whole passage, but it very well might seem familiar to you because Jesus' earliest followers pretty quickly picked up this and said, that sounds a whole lot like this Jesus guy we've been following. Maybe we need to use some of these words and project them onto Jesus. Jesus is marching around talking about setting people free. Talking about, uh, not only talking about, but uh, uh, helping blind people to see. Acting definitively in human history. Maybe this is that coming, that thing that we have been looking forward to and anticipating. And yet, we also, 2,000 years later, have this expectation that, yes, God acted definitively in human history in that time, and yet we also are looking forward to this second advent, this second coming, when God will show up and act definitively in human history with the return of Jesus. And you might be hearing that and thinking, you lost your mind. That might be way too weird for you. You might have all of this lived experience with knowing, like, this is how the world actually works. This is, this is my experience within the world. That does not really fit with my understanding of how the world works. And yet, I would encourage you, and I am trying to encourage myself in this season to steal away joy where I can, 
to will myself into believing some of the unbelievable things, trusting and hoping perhaps, maybe, possibly, that God is this good, that the world can be this good, that Jesus is that good. And holding out that hope, holding out that joy for a second advent. No matter how unbelievable. Often we think that um, we participate in things, we practice things because we have very strong beliefs that inform the things that we do. So often in like protest movements, the idea is that you get involved in a protest because you have really strong convictions that inform that protest. It's actually more often the case that it's the opposite. People get involved in things because they're exciting, because other people they know are doing them, and it is through their involvement, through their practicing, that new beliefs, maybe beliefs and convictions that uh, were previously unbelievable, start to form and solidify. The same is true with this whole idea of of following Jesus. The same is true with this idea of Advent and, and looking forward to the second Advent. And fortunately, for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have had this practice to look forward with excitement and anticipation for something that kind of seems a little bit unbelievable. Maybe you're familiar with this practice. It's called communion. Uh, some people call it the Lord's Supper. Other people call it the Eucharist. In some of the last moments that Jesus had with his closest followers, the day before he was killed, he gathered with them for this meal. And this meal was actually a retelling of a story when God acted definitively in human history on behalf of God's people. And yet, as he was gathered with them for this meal, he twisted the elements a little bit. And he said, actually... Yes, God has acted previously in human history in a definitive way, but God is going to continue to act and will act going forward in a way that you can anticipate and you can be excited about. And so he took these normal everyday elements. He took a a loaf of bread and he broke it in half and said, imagine for a moment that this is my body which is going to break for you. Do this as often as you eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took this cup of wine, and he said, imagine for a moment that this is not just a cup of wine, but it is my blood which is poured out for you. Whenever you drink this, do it in remembrance of me, because I want you to continue to rehearse this so that you can look forward with eagerness and expectation and excitement that I am going to come again someday. You practice this meal, you practice this thing in order to hold up that eagerness and excitement for a second advent. So in just a moment, we're going to participate in that. We're going to practice this, folks, no matter how unbelievable you might find it. To be. And so in just a few moments, we'll have you come up and we have these, these cups that are full of these little, these littler cups. These continue to be, even if they're not COVID times, they're flu times and RSV times. Yeah, boo, all three of those. Um, and so rather than having a, a cup that's 
full of juice, and then you're dipping things in and mixing all sorts of germs. We're going to send you back to your seats with one of these guys. Um, so we'll, we'll invite you to come up, and then uh, we will say a, a quick blessing over the, you and then hand you one of these cups. Uh, on the top, there's a thin layer of, of film. You'll uh, peel that back, and there's a wafer in there. The wafer is gluten-free, so if you are gluten-free, uh, you do not need to worry about that. And then the second layer, uh, you'll remove that, and then inside there is grape juice. It is not wine, so if you are in recovery, you do not have to worry about that either. Um, everyone is welcome to participate. You do not have to be a member of this church. You do not have to be a member of the United Methodist Church. You do not have to have it all figured out. You do not have to be 100% convinced of everything. All we ask is that you come forward, you practice this, you participate in this, because one of the best ways to experience the joy and the grace of God is simply to practice it and to participate in it.